Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. The madness is over. Rock Chalk Jayhawk. Jordan over there is gleeful. The Tar Heels are done. So is Coach K's career. Welcome to Underdogs. I am Tom Haberstro, as always, joined by my underdog experts, the long shot experts, the Rudies of the world, the little giants of the world. Welcome to the show, as always, Peter Keating and Jordan Brenner. How's it going, fellas? It's going pretty well. I think uh, I'd like to hear from Jordan. I, I don't think Jordan liked Kansas either. So do you just did you just go out to dinner during the national championship game or how do you occupy your time? Or, or were you sitting there spitting against Carolina the whole the whole evening? I think Tom just described me as gleeful. I don't think I'm capable of feeling glee anymore. I'm, there's a part <laughs> of me that's just dead and it's never coming back. Wow, Tom will never laugh again. Yeah, Nolan Smith is gone too. How do you feel about that, Jordan? Everyone's just jumping ship. I love Nolan. But look, it opens up a seat on the bench for me is the way I see it. So (laughs) I could be the future of the program. Well, we're going to talk on this episode of Underdogs. We're going to talk Masters Preview. We have an interview with Jason Sobel from the Action Network. There is nobody better about this stuff, um, about odds and betting and just general golf knowledge. He is just fantastic. We have an interview with him later in the show. We'll also do some more baseball preview because opening day is right here and we've got some long shot picks for you. Um, But first, we've got to do a little recap on the March Madness this year. The confetti has fallen. The Kansas Jayhawks, Bill Self, won another title. I guess we can say that UNC's Cinderella run fell short, which seems like an anomaly when we're talking about a storied program like UNC with Michael Jordan and every and Dean Smith, that they were the underdogs. But they were the eight seed, and they came into this Kansas um, championship game as the underdog, I think a four, four-and-a-half-point underdog. And after leading by 15 points at halftime, they fell apart and injuries and weird ref calls happen. But ultimately, Kansas won the championship, which is no surprise, huge surprise. What do you guys think about the championship? I thought it was an interesting carbon copy in some aspects of what happened in Miami against Kansas. Miami was a bigger underdog, was a true underdog, did everything an underdog needed to do for one half against Kansas. And then Kansas came out and stomped them. I mean, Kansas has enough good players and enough of an inside game and collects enough offensive rebounds and protects the ball well enough that against just about anybody, they can just keep taking good shots. And if they happen to miss, get the ball back and keep taking more shots. Anybody, who, if you've seen them at all, you know how they love to move the ball up the floor and get the ball inside. And, and they finally they finally did it. If anything, it's just a surprise that um, North Carolina was able to do its thing of coming out and hitting an opponent in the mouth for the first few minutes. But, you know, overdog's going to overdog. I just think it speaks to, again, that so much of what happens in a one-and-done tournament is just about how well you shoot 
and so much of shooting is random. You know, RJ Davis and Caleb Love were carrying this team, and at any point, if they had a shooting night like they did against Kansas, this team would have lost in that in, in an earlier round. They shot great against Duke. They beat Duke. They shot terribly against Kansas. They lost to Kansas. Sometimes it's that simple. It's a make or miss league. It's a make or miss league, Tom. Or to make or miss association. I think it's really hard <laughs> to say that sometimes it's 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 just as simple as that, but sometimes the ball rims out and sometimes it, it rattles and goes in. And like you have to be willing to live with that if you're a basketball coach, player, or fan. That's just the randomness of the game. You could run this tournament back ten times and you might have ten different final fours. Like it just there's there's no bearing in what happens in one game to what if you if you played it over. It's just that's just not the way college basketball works. But there are possession-building strategies that we've talked about over and over again with respect to helping an underdog survive a bad shooting night, right? And North Carolina— Sure, but I don't see Carolina as a team that played that way. They don't pressure the ball. They don't send multiple guys to the offensive glass. They let Amarno Baycott grab them some second shots, but they're not all going after the offensive boards. They didn't didn't change the style they played. They didn't change the tactics that Hubert Davis— believed in they improved as a team later in the season and their guards got hot and Brady Manick was hot all year like I can't say he got hot he just sh- shoots the shit out of the ball but I-, I don't know what to say they were they're a good team they're better than an eight seed but they also ran into you know, what happens when you're not hot yeah, they rank 356th in opponent turnover percentage. Their defense just does not create chaos defensively, and they still did. I mean, Kansas had only nine turnovers in this game. It wasn't a case of UNC remodeling their t- entire uh, profile or their style. It's just they – Rondo Baycott was incredible. Caleb Love became Michael Jordan, um, channeling number 23 for, for Carolina at a lot of stretches in this tournament. And they got hot for five games. At the end of the day, this isn't like they got hot for for two months and they played totally differently for 20 games. This was they had a lot of talent coming in. Caleb Love and RJ Davis were top prospects coming into the program. They had rough starts to the season. They didn't shoot very well during the the regular season before the ACC and um, NCAA tournament. And they played like they were supposed to coming into Carolina. Look, I want to study next year more on late season play and see whether a pattern emerges. It didn't uh, when we studied it a few years ago, but maybe with the transfer portal and the way teams are changing on the fly, maybe there is more to say about how you're playing late in the season. However, anecdotally, I'd caution against that too because three of the hottest teams coming into the tournament were Virginia Tech, Iowa, and Tennessee, and all were gone by the end of the first weekend. So, you can pick and choose teams and say, oh, well, they were hot and we should have known it all along. Well, what about all the other teams that looked hot? Yeah, I mean, for every team like Syracuse, when it started the year 25-0, and 0, lost a bunch of games towards the end of the season, and then went out quickly. Uh, uh, there's this team like Syracuse two years later, which started off really great, lost a bunch of games in a row, and then went to the Final Four as a 10 seed. I think we got to be careful that we're not just – I mean, Virginia Tech is a great example, right? I mean, going into the tournament, I thought maybe they were on some kind of run and their stats look great. And goodbye, goodbye quickly. Um, so, yeah, whether these teams are actually reconfiguring themselves or not, maybe maybe they are coming together a bit later in the season because of portal issues. But I agree with you guys. And I think North Carolina 
didn't have those giant killing tricks in its bag, right? They, they had two steals against Kansas so that once their shooting didn't sustain at a very, very high level, there wasn't actually a lot for them to fall back on. I mean, they, they, were, they were better, right, than we thought. Um, they had really good fortune. Um, but once they ran into a team like Kansas, you know, you, it's, hard to be, it's hard to be both to shoot that well and have the breaks go your way for six games. Yeah. <laughs> six games in a row, right? Well, to that point, like Brady Manick, transfer from Oklahoma, also a transfer from Oklahoma, Londis Williams, who won the ACC Player of the Year. Oh I don't my know if God. you guys remembered that. Well, that <laughs> keeps the uh, streak of shows mentioning Alondis Williams to 17. Man, man <laughs> is going to be a presence on this show for the end till the end of time. Brady Manick averaged 13 points per game in his first 10 games of the season with Carolina transferring from Oklahoma. And then in the final 10 games, he averaged 19. Um, and so there, it might be something to the fact that when we look at these transfers, that the first half of the year, they're just getting integrated to the team. And it's not a case of like, uh, do they have the talent? It's really meshing it's chemistry and integrating with their new programs. So I, I do think that's going to be a really interesting um, research project for next year is whether recency bias is actually um, a, an advantage or at least a benefit is that looking at the, the previous 20 games or 10 games or five games where there's something there that there is some predictive value because of the transfer portal going forward that wasn't the case 10 years ago. Right. And while I understand the transfer portal from a fairness perspective, and I'm never going to say anything against giving players empowerment there's also no question as a fan it's harder to be it's harder to love college basketball right now when it feels like it's a different team every single year it was one thing when it was just one and done the top players and maybe a few programs were affected and you could take your pick do you want to root for a team like that that's that's new every year or do you you know is, is your favorite team at least have program guys now you can't even keep the program guys in the program because every year they have a chance to go look. It's free agency every every summer. They have a chance to go look for more playing time, and it's 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 hard to follow. I think for the casual fan, when you look up and you don't even know who's on the team anymore, and um, you know there there I am wistful for a bygone era of when you had three and four oh year guys. Oh my god! Just a minute, just a minute. Let me get off your lawn. Holy smokes! First of all. Coaches have had the equivalent of a transfer portal forever. Wait, wait, so I'm not saying it's not fair. You're not hearing me. I'm not talking about fairness. I'm talking about I, I, I'm hearing you. I'm talking about your point about continuity of style and play. Well, when your coach just ups and leaves, that's pretty disruptive. Also, <laughs> also, Jordan, for God's sakes, the season is 35 games long. You get to know a team by Christmas, okay? I mean, if you don't know them already by August. And I would also just say. Yeah, maybe when it comes to good team teams that are already good staying good, but I don't know. Was there any team uh, where it was more fun to be a fan than Iowa State this year? Yes, which is hugely a product of the transfer portal. Many more, but Tom, help me out here. You got to be with me as an old school college basketball fan that putting aside what's right and fair to the players, it's not as fun to have to look up and say, who's that guy? Who's that guy every year? Put that aside quickly. Put aside what's right and fair. It's a separate conversation. Tom, Tom, smack him, smack him. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, when you yes. see like Anton Jameson, when you see Jameson right behind Roy Williams during the tournament, I did get very wistful for those days of like, 
man, remember you could watch guys play two, at least two years, three years, four years with a program. And those like, I'm not, we're not getting back there unless there's a huge chain, wholesale change to the system, which I don't think is coming down the pipeline where top talent is going to stay with an NCAA program for four years. It's not going to happen, but I will say makes great opportunities for us on this podcast is if there's a lot more uncertainty, then maybe we can take advantage of that uncertainty and that fog on underdogs. No, except our favorite, you know, the, the best underdog story ever in college basketball unfolded this year. And what did we talk about last week? Now these guys are going to see opportunities and they're not going to want to run it back. They're going to want to go take their shot at a bigger program. So sure enough, we already have three peacocks in the portal. Daryl Banks, Dougie Eddard, Matthew Lee, all looking to transfer elsewhere. Shaheen's out the door. They're following him. We don't get the uh, St. Peter's Redux. We don't get to see if this may be a top 25 team. Hey, hey, Jordan, Jordan, how did Villanova do in 1986? That's right. Nobody remembers because nobody cares. Do they call the song One Shining Moment or do they call the, the song One Shining Moment Building for Sustainable Excellence Over a Number of Seasons? End quote. <laughs> Wait a minute. You didn't want to see what St. Peter's could do over a full One season? One of the magical things about underdogs is that they coalesce for this moment and we don't necessarily expect it to last. And I'll just say this also. There's a simple solution to your guys' conundrum that isn't really a problem. Go root for an Ivy League team. Oh, God. Even the Ivy League's losing guys to the portals. Nobody from Princeton is going to transfer to UCLA just for basketball unless they're so good they should have been there in the first place. What are you talking about? You had um, Notre Dame with with Atkinson from Yale. Guys are leaving Ivy League programs now, too, to go to – as soon as they play well there, they're out the door for a bigger program. And I can't blame them. I'm just saying it makes it harder as a fan to know who's where. Maybe the run baby run on the St. Peter's court is about fleeing the program after they go to the tournament and make it. Ooh, low blow. You think that Oral Roberts would have been a dynasty if only O'Banner had had stayed. (laughs) I think Jordan's point is sound is it's more fun to watch a young team or talent stay with the program and you get a feel for the program, get a feel for the talent. You get to see them every year. I don't, I don't think that's, deniable are you disagreeing that it's more fun to see familiar players on familiar teams peter i think it's most fun to watch the team you're watching play well for good reasons oh yeah what a cop out okay that's about as vanilla as a take as you'll ever get on any podcast it's not it's not vanilla it's just not whining about players going to get it's not whining we're not we're not maximize their own value i'm no you're you're twisting the argument listen listen kellerman you're twisting the argument here skip bayless okay spit out your spit out your tobacco and let's move on they are i I don't blame the players one bit. I'm purely speaking from a fan's point of view that it's harder and not as much fun. They deserve whatever they can get. Two separate arguments. But weren't you ready for this from the days of uh, Calipari and Patino doing this 10 years ago? That was the appetizer to this main entree. Are you surprised? I mean, come on. This is where it was all it was all headed. Yeah, the transfer portal is something very, very different. I think to sum up, Thank you, Tom. <laughs> we expose big jackrabbits on this podcast. That's true. South Dakota State were frauds. Everyone yes. wanted to bet South Dakota State, and we pointed out, you know what? Actually, too much hype. They're going to flop, and they sure did. Iowa State, big on them. We didn't necessarily pick St. Peter's to make this huge run here, but I think we had a Necessarily. Pretty- no, no. We did, we did not because nobody did because there are some things that are just really unpredictable. But Peter, what 
what would you say? How did we do overall this tournament? We did okay. I don't think we did as well as last year. Last year, last year, the chaos that the pandemic and the shortened season caused did make teams harder to rank, but it really brought the best uh, underdogs to the top. Uh, that's partly and largely now that we think about it because they got such great matchups in the tournament, right? So we could see great underdogs coming and we could see they were matched against teams they had a really good chance to beat. This year, not so much. I mean, there are teams that that played much better than we expected and they went on some great tournament runs in addition to those kind of predictable, pesky, chaos-causing underdogs that matched what long shots have done throughout history. And then you're right, there were also a whole bunch of what we call schoolyard bullies, these teams that pile up wins, play very risk-averse, do well in their small conferences, get trendy, and then they always go on to lose. I mean, this year there was Wyoming, there was South Dakota State, there Vermont, was Vermont, baby. which is actually Vermont. Vermont's the best of the group. Big catamount. Turned it into an art form, but still lost. Uh, who else? Colgate, right? And we we were one thing we one thing we can do is warn you to stay away from trendy teams that really aren't that good or just aren't built for these types. And that's of what games. we do on the Underdogs podcast. <laughs> we're yeah. like a you know yeah, that, a winter storm warning. That's, we let you know early. That's when we had to change things up and look for value in the overdogs early in the tournament. And then there were, like I said, there were a couple of teams that played not necessarily differently, right? But as you guys have said, at a different level of their own strengths for period of the tournament had these great runs. Tom, now the tournament's over, does that mean that we're we're not going to hear the term overdog anymore or is it going to like is he going to bring it up like during NFL season, you know, like the Bills are a big overdog. NFL season, the Yankees are the biggest overdogs in America. Jeez, so, so we're stuck with this. But before we leave this subject, I want to ask you guys a, a serious question about the the strengths of conferences. Um you both are ACC fans. Do you think there's something to the idea that there's some some factor that made those teams play well that we overlook or we didn't appreciate, especially compared to, let's say, Big Ten teams, who we always, we always hear a lot about from our readers or listeners. I've always had a theory. I have no idea how to back it up. Um, that I always like to look at preseason rankings and recruiting rankings when it comes to the tournament. And the idea that everybody's playing hard in the tournament and that talent wins out. And I guess you could say that the ACT teams are getting more, at least the top programs, getting more highly ranked players, and maybe they have a little more talent. You know, I, I saw one of our readers post the recruiting rankings for where the Big Ten stood compared to some of the other conferences, and maybe that plays out. But otherwise, I just I, I think a lot of it is, again, just randomness, and people look for themes and similarities and one year the ACC plays well and the Big Ten doesn't get a team in the Final Four and everyone wants to trash that conference. So unless that's what's happening, I really don't know what it is. Tom? Yeah, I would say that would be a great study is looking at which conferences get the most talent and see if that's more predictive, if that if that's a significant factor in tournament time, is seeing if, if those preseason ranks actually matter more than we think. Because um, Carolina was ranked coming into the season. I think they were 19th in the preseason polls. So we did acknowledge nationally that they had a lot of talent and a lot of hype coming in, not quite, you know, UNC of yore, but yeah, they certainly had enough talent and they came back around at the right time and they got hot. Um, 
but it's still hard to ignore the fact that they got blown out by uh, Miami and and Kentucky and Duke. I mean, we can understand them getting blown out by Wake Forest, a juggernaut like that. But um, you know, when they come around and lose by twenty plus to those teams, it, with the exception of Wake, you, that, that, that's that's an eye opening eye opening run for UNC. All right, this is too depressing. Can we can we just can we move on to baseball and I cannot think about what happened this past weekend? Look, like any cyclone, weather event, hurricane, weather event, <laughs> a gale, a gale after that storm comes through, it is the most beautiful day. It might be time to get outside and play some baseball. The March madness is over and now it is the most serene, beautiful, America's pastime has arrived. Baseball season is here and we have some picks for you or some ideas, some concepts for you to keep an eye on as you enter the baseball season. I myself am a huge Red Sox fan. I keep in my wallet a ticket stub from the 2004 ALCS Game 3 against the Yankees, uh, Red Sox, Yankees. I went to that game and it was horrible. It was awful down three Oh. And then what happened? We turned around and came back and won the whole thing. I saying that the collective, we look at me, a little fanboy over here with the Red Sox, but I'm excited for the baseball season to be here. The lockout is over. And now Peter, it's time to look at these awards. You're over the whole Mookie bet situation. No, no. I'm not. The fact that the Red Sox can cry poverty, we can't really afford Mookie bets or we need to move off of that kind of money. It's just maddening. So no, I'm not I'm not over the Mookie bets thing, even though he didn't have a great year last year. This is meanwhile, I'm really enjoying that we've now relived Duke losing to Carolina, the Yankees blowing a three all <laughs> lead against the Red Sox. Hey, if you want to talk about like uh four different Giants losses on like you know Deshaun Jackson <laughs> running into the end zone or you know, uh, a bobbled snap against the 49ers on a field goal. Just keep kicking me while I'm down, boys. Let's, let's this is great. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome, Jordan. <laughs> great morning for me. I'm, I'm really the day is going to go awesome from here. So let's start out with some uh, some some award talk, right? Let's see who do you, who, who who we like as uh, players who are going to come out on top of the season. Whoa, whoa, not just any players. Underdog picks, correct? Yeah, somebody we have a reason to say isn't just, you know, cruising along and playing for a great team and loaded with talent and or, you know, not not last year's MVP repeating, but right. somebody there's a reason to root for from an underdog perspective. Right. Um most most MVP candidates, um, once you get past the very few top players, are just not as good as those very top players, right? But there's a few players who could be every bit as great as the best players in the game. They just carry a lot of risk. And I think those players make the most exciting and also the most valuable picks. That's right. I'm talking about Byron Buxton right now. Whoa! Plus, uh, plus 2,500 to win AL MVP. Now, he's sandwiched in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the odds uh, between guys like Luis Robert, or is it Robert? I believe it's, it's Robert. Robert. It's yeah. Robert, but it should, it should be Robert. It should be Robert. It should be the Robert report. You know, who's at plus 2,000. Jordan Alvarez at plus 2,800. Those guys are excellent players, but they're basically listed there because they're not as good as Bryce Harper or Juan Soto. Buxton is an MVP level player. Um, he just hasn't been able to stay on the field. You probably know the story. He hasn't played 150 games in a season. He hasn't played 135 games in a season, but... The injuries he suffered, a bruised wrist, getting hit by one, a, a pitch one year and then getting hit by a pitch in the helmet the next year. Um, 
you know, a hamstring. These are not chronic recurring injuries. These are not, oh, my surgical repaired elbow fell apart. Now, he did end one season or had problems one year. I think it was 2019, running into a wall. I think he doesn't run into as many walls anymore, even <laughs> though he's still a fantastic <laughs> player. Um, but in, in about a, a 40% worth of at-bats last season, he was better than 90% of the players in the league. Um, he's got power. He's got speed. He's got incredible speed. Just Google Byron Buxton triples and see what you find. Um, and he's a fun guy. And he's it feels persistent. like a dare. It's like, what, what am I going to find here on Byron Buxton he, triples? Like, is there some like dark web? <laughs> it's like Fournier. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't Google that. No. 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 Absolutely no. Not. It's just, uh, it's just, there's just so many. There's He's just hit moonshots or run faster than you've ever seen a human run so often that there's a lot of YouTube videos of Byron Buxton out there doing, doing great baseball things, let me emphasize. So um, it's, that, it's that simple. I mean, I think if he stays on the field, um, he, he's an easy guy to root for, and he stayed with the Twins. So he didn't go through the transfer portal, so you guys should love him. <laughs> and the Twins are an easy team to root for. They, after years so this of- is your, this is your, your underdog- MVP pick for the AL. Yes, he's at plus 2,500. Yes. All right. How about I do twice the underdog for you in the NL? Twice. You think plus 2,500? Wow. I've got a pair of plus 5,000 wow. bets that I love. Number one, from your New York Mets, Peter, Starling Marte. I believe we're, we're looking at minimum 25-25 <laughs> season, probably better. They're going to be a really good team. He will get a lion's share of the credit because they're missing DeGrom to start the season. The pitching may not be what it, what you expect, but I think that offense is going to click. But even better than Starling Marte, yes, I'm looking toward the Milwaukee Brewers and not either of their stud pitchers, but shortstop Willie Adamas. Peter, as you like to point out, when he's playing in Tampa, he could not see. The lighting was terrible. Came over to Milwaukee. Amazing what happens when you can see the ball. 99 games at 20 home runs. 285, 366, 521 slash line, 3.5 war. He's at plus 5,000. He's 26 years old. When the Brewers win 100 games, Willie Adamas is going to be the reason people give. He is also hugely fun to root for. I mean, if you're betting on underdogs at this at this level, right, you may as well pick players you actually like to watch. And Adamas is, a, I mean, he's fun at bat. He's fun in the field. He's That's a cool pick. In fact, if I weren't in New York, I would make the bet now, but for some reason I can't bet on awards here. So, you know, maybe one of you can do it for me. Is that due to a restraining order of some kind or is that just – is this is state law? Yeah, the, the, me and Willie. <laughs> and if there's anything we can bet on it's and, and win, it's going to be – Former Miami players who win MVP or do really well when they leave Miami. So Starling Marte, another example. If he does win MVP, it's going to join a long list of players that just become amazing Hall of Famers when they leave Miami. So you talk a big game about plus 5,000. What if I told you I have an NL Cy Young candidate, my pick, that is so off the board that he is not listed by DraftKings? Can we try to guess this person? Go for Here's it. my question: Is he 
is he even on a roster right now or is this a prospect <laughs> who's going to come up in a month? He is absolutely on a roster right now. Yes. He's on a roster right now. Yes. He's off the board. Is it DeGrom because he's injured? No, DeGrom is at plus 1,200 right now on DraftKings. He went from the favorite to like sixth. Is it Chris Bassett? It is not Chris Bassett. He is plus 3,000 right now for, uh, really? for on DraftKings. Yep. Yep. Keep going. I'm fascinated. Is he All right. Is it an old guy? Not an old guy. Very young, in fact. And I just talked about his team. Did you say Miami? Oh, is, are you oh talking, is it one of the Miami talking, guys? Are you talking Trevor Rogers? Trevor Rogers, yes. my friend. Love me some Trevor Rogers. There you go. Trevor Rogers, 24-year-old. Is my pick for long shot Cy Young. Here's why. FIP, fielding, independent, pitching. 2.55 last year. He was 7-8. and eight. Didn't get the run support that he needed to get the Ws. But that doesn't matter as much anymore in today's, you know, enlightened voting era where wins, starter wins doesn't matter, right, as much. Still matters a little bit. But Trevor Rogers is incredibly talented incredibly he was all-star rookie of the year like hype had some missed some time last year but if he pitches well for for Miami this year and they get some run support behind him I think Trevor Rogers is going to go from whoa amazing prospect first round pick for the Marlins into Cy Young candidate I love the value here not even on the board fellas yeah where's the value I can't bet it (laughs) if he has a couple good starts this season He's going to hop onto the board and you're going to want to grab him, whatever odds he has at plus 5,000 or plus 10,000. Just throw a little bit of the mortgage on Trevor Rogers, or maybe don't. I'm just saying this guy is super talented and I love this guy. I'd love to mock you for this. I love the pick. Love the pick. Yeah. There are a few Miami starters who, whether they're Cy Young worthy or not, are great fantasy picks because- they have really good underlying stats, and Miami added enough. You know, Miami's added a few bats this year that could just get them a little more run support. I mean, Trevor Rogers should have been something like twelve and three last year, right? And and also, people he kind of fell off everybody's radar toward the end of the season, but that's because he missed time, not because he was hurt, but because members of his family had COVID. So um, it's been a rough couple of years for him personally, but. That just serves to make him a better value play because his raw numbers are not overwhelming, but his underlying stats are fantastic. I mean, 157 strikeouts and 133 innings pitch. He had a 2.64 ERA last year and a 2.55 FIP. His, you know, his underlying numbers are fantastic. He he was a top prospect coming in, but delivered and exceeded expectations. And people are sleeping on him, including DraftKings, not even having him on the big board when he was one of the most valuable pitchers in baseball last year when he was on the mound. Right. He's not on the board at DraftKings. You can get him at plus 5,500 at FanDuel. It looks like uh, plus 3,000 at BetMGM, plus 5,000 at PointsBet. So our friends at DraftKings, let's get him up there. We want to make those Trevor Rogers bets. And, you know, from one underdog to another, I've got an AL Cy Young pick here. Okay? Give it to us. From the scrappy underdogs of Major League Baseball, my AL Cy Young pick is Nathan Evaldi. Whoa. 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 Yeah, let's go back. Evaldi. Let's go back to talk about Trevor Rogers' FIP. (laughs) 
plus 2,500. That's it? This year, he's the 13th ranked Cy Young favorite, I guess you'd say. Nathan Ivaldi is really good. He's the Boston, the Boston Celtics, the Boston Red Sox number one starting pitcher. He's a guy who's come through in the clutch in the postseason. He had a 2.79 FIP last season. His ERA was at 3.75. This guy, his underlying stats suggest he's going to have another great season. And look, the year before Corbin Burns won the Cy Young, he led baseball in FIP with a 2.03, and then he came back and won Cy Young. So if you want something that's a little bit of an indicator, um, has predictive value, it's not one-to-one, but I think if you're looking at breakout candidates from the pitching standpoint, the value is there for Nathan Ivaldi, who was really strong last year. Going to have some more run support, hopefully, with Trevor Story. And having a, a a breakout season as a Cy Young candidate, I like Nathan Ivaldi for the Cy Young bet this year, especially with Chris Sale. The Chris Sale being on the shelf actually adds to the narrative that Ivaldi is going to be taking over this rotation and saving the Red Sox season. I love Ivaldi this year for Cy Young. I have no comment, Peter. I'd be a little worried that he's going to give up more home runs this year. Because his first couple of seasons in Boston, he gave up uh, he gave up home runs at a rate double or triple the what he did last year. So I'd be a little afraid of that. But yeah, why not? He was fourth in the voting last year, fourth in the voting, and now he's down to thirteen. Come on, now, come on. There's value there. It's an interesting pick too, because the teams the Red Sox are competing with, like the Yankees and the Rays. I'm not sure, other than Garrett Cole, and I don't know, I, I mean, what are we supposed to believe? He's automatically going to be the best pitcher in baseball? I don't There's know. There's no value know. in Garrett Cole. Come on. We all know this. I mean, Where are the sneaky Cy Young uh, picks elsewhere in, in that division or in the league? I mean, maybe Berrios. I thought you had one on the same team as, as Garrett Cole. Well, no, I think Jordan Montgomery is going to have a good year. I don't know that he's going to have a Cy Young level year. I mean, Jordan Montgomery needs to straighten out his sequences of pitching and not serve up fastballs because his other pitches are wipeout good. But if everything goes right, maybe that means he's a worthy numbers two starter for a winning team. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, why not? Why not Evaldi? I mean, who, where, where else is there value? And I mean, I, I like, I was joking before that I like Justin Verlander as a sneaky pick because I don't see any reason why he won't come back and dominate, but um, there's probably value in Evaldi, right? What's what? what Where's he at right now? Evaldi is he's at plus twenty five hundred. Plus twenty five hundred. It's insane. It's insane. He led he led baseball or led the American League in FIP. Come on now, come on now. Fourth in Cy Young, and now you have Chris Sale who's on the shelf. You have uh, Lance Lynn who's injured. You have Robbie Ray. I don't think he's gonna. He. I think that was a one hit wonder there in Toronto. I just think the door is wide open for Evaldi. All right, so Tom, you've been mentioning FIP, which of course is an advanced, or I guess now, what do we call it? Stats 102, like what, like a, a next level metric that combines strikeouts, walks, and home run data into something that's scaled similar to ERA, right? Yep. But shows you shows you how well a pitcher did without relying on- Some lucky factors. Basically taking his batted ball data out of the equation, right? Yeah. Trying to adjust for- for things that are more random. We might even say 
lucky. Right. And sequencing is, you know, like you give up a, a single after a double and the, the run scores and it affects your ERA. That That is kind of the sequencing is also taken out of it, or ERA and, and made fit. So that brings us to this week's Stats 101, which is batted ball data, specifically fly ball data. It's Stats 101 with Peter Keating. Mathematical concepts from a guy who, like myself, went to Harvard. Go Crimson. You hit a certain percentage of your batted balls as ground balls, line drives, and fly balls. Line drives are the best. Um, they're the most closely associated with high batting averages and high slugging percentages. And in recent years, analytics has suggested that fly balls are a lot better than ground balls. You'd rather launch a ball when it has a chance to be a home run than drive it into the ground. Um, now, to hit a home run, you need to do two things. You need to hit a ball in true. the air, and then the ball has to go over the wall, right? The first of those things <laughs> is your fly ball per- well, it, it is it is big, and this is breaking what's true. news here on the Underdogs podcast. Here's how you hit a home run: hit it long and far. So, wait, are you saying it is high, it is far, it is gone? No, I'm saying if it is high and far and over the wall, it will be gone. Hitting it high and far is your fly ball percentage. That is like a fingerprint to a batter. Year to year, batters have similar fly ball percentages, but the percentage of balls that are fly balls that actually become home runs, your fly ball to home run ratio, that bounces up and down all over the place. It's subject to all kinds of random and outside influences. The parks you play in, small sample sizes, the weather. And every year you see a bunch of guys who happen to have a huge percentage of their fly balls turn into home runs, make the home run derby. Okay. Then, yeah, they play in the home run derby. And then their fly ball to home run percentage regresses in the second half of the season, and everybody says, oh my God, there's a home run derby curse. No, it's not. It's just because in good weather, playing in band boxes, one guy hit a bunch of home runs that happened to go over the wall. And when that comes back down to earth, so do his overall home run totals. So to look for players who have a lot of hidden fantasy value this year, we can look to see which players have very high fly ball percentages but last year happened to turn them into home runs at a very low rate. Um, for example, Ozzy Albies of the Braves, 48.8% of his batted balls were hit in the air. That's a high percentage. Anything near or above 50% is a high percentage. He Only 12.2% of them became home runs. The average is about 15%. So we can expect that just due to numbers regressing, coming back to earth, luck evening out, a larger share of his fly balls would become home runs this year. He's a good bet to hit more than 30 home runs. And he's also only 25. He also had a low batting average on balls in play last year. So it's not like he's falling off of any cliffs. He should be improving. This is the way he's going to improve. But why would we talk about him? He plays for the Braves. He's a young, emerging, big star. He's not an underdog. Yeah. This is not the Overdogs podcast. We have no interest in rooting for him. He's a mathematical example. He's not an underdog to draft. All right, give us one underdog. The underdog to draft is Austin Meadows, who just became a Detroit Tiger. 53% fly ball rate, only 12.5% of them went over the walls. He hit only 249 on balls in play last year. He's just 26. Um, he, he hit only 10 home runs uh, at home last year, 17 on the road, and now he's been traded to a new ballpark. So, arrow pointing straight up. 
Frosted Meadows. And of course, the Tigers are a fun team. Eduardo Rodriguez is another guy with great value. Huge gap between his ERA and his FIP. So why not? Home, Austin Meadows for home runs, our batted ball predictor, fantasy pick of the week. Love it, Peter. I am right now going to my fantasy team, and I'm picking up Austin Meadows. But look, you're talking about the Tigers, but there's only one Tiger. And it's time to transition <laughs> to the Masters and our special guest today from the Action Network, Jason Sobel. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Remember the best vacation you've ever taken? Make your next one even better with Get Your Guide. With Get Your Guide, you can book over 100,000 unforgettable experiences in the U.S. and around the world. Want to see the Grand Canyon from a helicopter? They got you. Watching a wrestling match in Mexico City? No problem. Or how about a guided tour of Rome's ancient ruins? Wherever you're going, whatever you're into, book your next travel experience at getyourguide.com. Here at Underdogs, we are super excited to get a look at Masters Week with none other than Jason Sobel of the Action Network, esteemed golf writer, esteemed betting writer, esteemed golf and betting writer. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, it, it's not bad to be at Augusta National once again. So I, I, you know, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to undersell it all. This is a pretty good spot. I feel like with all the flowers, like allergies, could be an underrated problem at, at Augusta. <laughs> it is. Oh no, it's huge. The pollen is so thick here. Usually, I, I will admit that I haven't been outside on the golf course too much yet. But uh, yeah, there's usually a lot of pollen here. I for years stayed in the house when I was still with ESPN, uh, where I would take. The basement of the house. I don't know why I did this. Just gonna be nice to the other guys, Gino and Harrig and Collins and those guys. And I'd, I, I would take the basement of the house, and the basement was essentially made out of pollen. And yes, it's a bad <laughs> allergy week every single time. We need that analysis. The analytics on pollen reaction is golfers yeah. who have really good uh, responses to pollen. Have they gotten their allergy shots? Jason, do we have a report on that? I don't have that. There, you know, there have been golfers over the years, professional golfers who had allergies to grass. And I'm like, that. it feels like that would be counterproductive to your job if you were allergic to grass and you were a golfer. I'm like, uh, you know, yeah. at some point, you're going to deal with a lot of grass if you're a golfer. Your ball's going to be in it a whole lot. Uh, you know, that seems like it wouldn't be a uh, great combination. That would be hellish to be a golfer allergic to grass. And, and then also, we don't really have good data on how antihistamines affect performance either so mm. yeah, that's kind of crazy territory all right well in some more important topics jason I, I always enjoyed your writing anyway i enjoyed your writing even more this week when i saw you did some of the same research that we did on underdogs so in your your column today you mentioned that there's hasn't been a champ ranked outside of the top 30 in the world since 2009 why do you think that is because it's a really hard golf tournament to win. Everyone wants to win it. Uh, yeah, it's look, I, you know, that's my very analytical reason for that. But uh, look, there's something to be said for, you know, let's, let's simplify this a little bit that 
it's it's the biggest tournament of the year. I mean, I, I get the Open Championship is the oldest, and uh, the U.S. Open is the most democratic. You you ask every single top fifty golfer in the world what tournament would you most want to win, and if you're not getting at least forty five answers of this one, um, then I'd be very surprised because this is the one they all want to win. And so uh, they try to they try to gear up their games for it. Tiger Woods spoke for years about trying to get his game to peak four times per year. Now I've talked with some players about it over the years who said, you know, Jason day gave me a great answer. He just looked at me. He's like, you know, kind of shrugged and just shook his head. I, I don't know. Like how, how am I supposed to play my best golf? Like, okay, I'd like to play my best golf that week. And that week he goes, I don't know. Like if I'm playing an event two weeks before, before the masters, it's not like I'm going to try not to play as well so that I can save it up. And yet, uh, Tiger kind of figured out Jordan Spieth. I spoke with on my radio show last week and Jordan said, you know, I, I feel like I've kind of gotten it now. I, I feel like I kind of understand how to kind of round into shape a little bit. And so it's very interesting. The golf world, those of us who pay attention on a weekly basis, we'll sit here in February and go, ah, what's wrong with Jordan Spieth? He's not playing his best golf. And then I always find it ironic because, uh, Jordan sitting there thinking, I, I'm not supposed to play my best golf in February. Why would I be criticized <laughs> for, for what I'm for doing what I'm supposed to not be doing? So I, you know, it's uh essentially so it's a roundabout way of saying it's the biggest tournament of the year. The best players show up for this one. Um, it is a a second shot golf course. So the guys who are the best ball strikers, guys who are best uh tee to green, especially with their uh their irons, are going to um, farewell in this one. And those are the best players in the world. So, um, yeah, we're not going to see, I, I would be very, very surprised if on Sunday evening, uh, it might not be the guy that we all pick might not be the favorite. It might not be the biggest name, but we're not going to see a guy sliding his arms into the green jacket on Sunday evening. where we go, who's that dude. I've never seen him before. The list we've talked about since 2000, you had Mike Weir in 2003, who was 39th in the world. Um, Zach Johnson in 2007 was 56th, Angel Cabrera 69th in 2009, and since then it's a whole bunch of top, not just top 30 players, but mostly top 15 players. That said, how does that dovetail with the sort of narrative that this is the deepest field of top golfers maybe we've ever had in the sport? So many good young players that stretches beyond the top 25, 30 in the world ranking. So does your does your thoughts on that matter change at all looking at sort of the makeup of golf right now or is or is it still you'd still be shocked outside of the top 30 if anyone emerged you know it's funny even if you're not into betting even if you're not gonna have some action for the masters this week i think you can look at the betting markets and use those to explain just how deep it is especially at the top i believe we still have a dozen players who are 20 to 1 or shorter right now uh, it's not great odds on anyone who's in that top 12, but it's, it's not, the, it's no longer the days of Tiger Woods is in his prime. He's the prohibitive favorite. And then there's everybody else. Um, these guys are all bunched up pretty good. John Rahm's the favorite, but he's not even number one in the world anymore. Scotty Scheffler is. And so he's up there and you've got Justin Thomas, you've got Jordan Spieth, you've got uh, Brooks Kepka, Patrick Cantley, all these, these really good players, Colin Morikawa, of course. Uh, Victor Hovland. I, I go on and on. And and these guys are all world-class players. Not one of them would shock anybody if they're able to go out and win. And so um, it, you look at it and you just say, uh, they're all capable of it. At some point, one guy is going to step up and, and win this thing, uh, 
this week. That raises the really interesting question of just how deep the pool of players is who have a decent yeah. shot or who could actually yeah. win this thing. I, I noticed that in your last column, you mentioned Luke List. And just now you just mentioned T to Green. And he's third on the entire tour on strokes added T to Green behind uh, Will Zalatoris and Justin Thomas. Go Deeks. He, he, Sorry. Um, oh, geez. Here we go. Yeah, man. here we go. So oh, good Lord. We'll get to that in a minute. But, um, you know, uh, uh, Luke List just won the uh, the Farmers Open in January. It was kind of cool because at Torrey Pines, there was a playoff after after the sun went down and he beat Zalatoris with a birdie on the first hole. And what do you think of a guy like that? Or do you have a couple of picks outside the top 30 that we should be looking at um, because that talent pool is so deep now? Yeah, there's not going to be a whole lot of guys. I mean, that's, you know, look, everyone's who... Everyone who's betting on the Masters, everyone who's in a pool, everyone who's playing DFS this week, they'll oh, give me a sleeper, give me a long shot. I, I always struggle with that a little bit because it's okay to not really have a sleeper. I mean, I, I don't know that there's not on be, the Underdogs podcast. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. wow. No, we need, we need at least one. Get him out of here. Here's the deal. I mean, we base it on the numbers. So I look at a guy like Tony Finau. Tony Finau, for those of us who are in the industry and study this stuff all the time, I'll look at him and go, well, he hasn't played his best golf this year. Um, other people who don't necessarily study it all the time or helicoptering in for uh, the biggest week of the year and go, I don't know, Tony Finau's pretty good. He always plays well. He's got a big number. I'll take him. And so I, do I look at him as a sleeper? Not necessarily, but you get him at 80 to 1 outright this week. And so, uh, yeah, if that's, if that's sleepy enough, that's an underdog enough. Yeah, Luke List, you mentioned. Yeah, I like him this week. Do I think he can win? No. Do I think he's a nice little play for a pool or for a DFS lineup or just, you know, have, have some sort of investment somewhere, somewhere. Absolutely. Russell Henley leads the PGA tour in strokes gain on approach shots this year. This is a second shot golf course. And so that's uh, of course, very important to be able to hit good iron shots. I, I look at him and say, he's a guy that I really like, although his outright numbers a little too low. I'm not sure he qualifies necessarily as a sleeper, but uh, guys, I, I mean, I, I'd love to go out there and say, you know, all right, here's here's 10 guys with 200 to 1 odds or or longer this week that have a great chance of winning. But if they have a great chance of winning, they would be 200 to 1. <laughs> but it does it is cool to to get a few names for uh, for watching somebody who might not win, but there's other ways to play them. But but before we leave the that that topic, let's talk <laughs> about the weirdest underdog of all because he's the most dominant athlete in any sport in the last quarter century, Tiger Woods. What do you make of Tiger showing up? What Tiger has told us over the last handful of months is that uh, if and when he does come back, he's not coming back as a ceremonial golfer. He's not coming back to, well, let me just slap it around for 36 holes, hop on the jet, and I'll be home by dinner time on Friday evening. That's, uh, that's not going to happen. He wants to go out and play some solid golf, and we have every reason to believe that Tiger Woods probably will play good golf around a place that he knows as well as anybody else. We all know experience is at least somewhat of a factor on this golf course where they play, uh, they play this event every single year. So uh, I, I do think that, you know, we don't necessarily want to raise the bar for, for Tiger too much. I think his outright odds are absolutely ridiculous this week, but I understand them. I mean, he's, he's the New York Yankees. He's the Los Angeles Lakers. He's uh, the Dallas Cowboys. He's the most popular play from the masses everyone wants to have at least hey i got a tiger ticket you know it's just a couple of bucks but i just want to have it just in case he wins i want to be able to root for him and so everyone 
wants to have a little piece of Tiger, and that's why the odds are so short this week. Uh, I, I've got him in my rankings, which I'm still working on. It's somewhere, uh, somewhere in the low to mid-20s, which is an absolute success for him. That's huge. That's massive for Tiger to be, uh, to be there in a ranking where he's going to be. Uh, I'll have him above some world-class players. I mean, just the way it works out. There are more than 20 world-class players. If I have him somewhere in the 20s, he, he's going to be above some very, very big names on my list this week. Uh, I think the the best play on him, I mean, if you want to make a Tiger investment, you want to have some money on him, you want to be able to watch him, uh, I look at it for a top 40. He's never finished outside the top 40 in 21 career starts as a professional. And so uh, I look at that at least as the lowest bar. Okay, let's start there. Maybe at the top 30, like I said, I, top 20, does it have some value? Maybe, but I've got him outside the top 20 in my ranking, so I'm not going to bet him for a top 20. So uh, I think you're kind of limited on what you can do. I think it'd be, it can be a great week for Tiger based on everything we know about him and everything he's been through, and yet still not a great week for Tiger betters who are going in on outrights and top fives and top tens. So I, as a Demon Deacon alum, I got to ask you about Zalatoris, who just made the cut in terms of the twenty top 30 in world ranking. He's at 29 right now, I believe. He was one stroke away from forcing the playoff last year at the Masters and came just like just an inch or two away from winning the Masters in his first appearance in the Masters. This year, how do you feel about Zalatoris' chances coming in um, as the outright winner of this event? Love him. Uh, I really do. Now, the only thing going against Zalatoris is the fact that he hasn't yet won a PGA Tour event. I, I don't know that you can sort of make that leap that you can go from, okay, I, you know, it, it's, it, it's like not being elected for local office and then becoming president, which come to think of it is probably a really bad analogy in this situation. But <laughs> said, he came so close last year, Jason. I mean, that is nuts. Never say never. No, I, I do like it. I, I like it in Jordan Spieth. And and we've talked about this narrative for years that um, they can't just show up at Augusta National and understand how it plays. You have to learn year after year where to hit it, where to miss it, how to react in certain situations, where certain butt breaks. And yet, Jordan Spieth learned it very early in his master's career. Will Zalatoris apparently learned it very early. And so I like him. I've got him in the top five. I think he's uh, a really strong top five play. He's a world-class ball striker, probably uh, third or fourth as far as best iron players and not very far from the top of that list right now. And so I, I think it's going to be a good week. And if you watch him at the match play a few weeks ago, um, the, the one real negative part of his game over the last handful of years has been that putter. And he putted beautifully at times during the match play, reached, I believe, the quarterfinals uh, on the weekend at Austin Country Club. And so uh, I look at that and I say, look, it, it might just be a honeymoon period for him with the flat stick right now, but, um, but that's okay. And this is a good place to go on a honeymoon, Augusta, Georgia. And so if he's still... Uh, Still got that going like he did a few weeks ago. This could be a very special week for him. Yeah, and like Webb Simpson, he's outside the top 30, but he always plays the Masters really well, and he's had the neck injuries recently. And he also went to... He also went to Wake Forest just to put it on uh, the icing on the cake there. Isn't it amazing what people have to do when their team doesn't make the NCAA tournament to make them feel good <laughs> about their alma mater? I really thought it was going to be enough that Zalatoris is 29th in the rankings, which got him just inside right. that list of players 
you know, so that somebody in the top 30 could win. But 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 we still have to go on from there to talk about Webb Simpson. All Webb right. Simpson. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Did he win a U.S. Open already? And he, he what, finished top 12 at the Masters in the last three starts? We're going to be talking about, about Rodney Rogers in three minutes. It's coming. Is Chris Paul playing golf yet? Well, let's let Jason answer the question, guys. I will tell you right now. Arnold Palmer and his, his victories here in 58, 60, 62, and 64, they're not going anywhere. So you've got four of those under your belt no That's matter right. what happens this week. So <laughs> Wake Forest pride right there. Wow. Thank you, Jason. This is gross. What a great guest. A truly great guest to to come <laughs> up with that. Jordan, you have your favorite here of uh, Bernard Langer. Is that his name? <laughs> <laughs> First of all, Jason, why can't I find anywhere on Bernard Longer to make the cut to bet? Because I know he's 64, but all this guy does is play well at Augusta. So where can I make this bet? I don't see it on DraftKings. And why does this guy, why does age not matter for him, at least when it gets to Augusta? Yeah, apparently the the books won't even put that out there. It's just uh, <laughs> uh, it's such an easy play this year. Uh, look, the guy is not just playing well at Augusta National. He's still the best player on PGA Tour champions. He's uh, 14 years older. That's a major difference. I mean, you think about it. Uh, it's, it's essentially like a, uh, you know, the reverse of if you're a 12 year old, you're playing in, uh, on the varsity in high school and you're like, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm beating everybody. He's, he's a 64 year old playing against 50 and 51, 52 year olds on the senior tour. And he's still the best player out there year in year out. And so he comes to Augusta and, uh, he's a great ball striker. Um, he's a very patient type of player. Uh, yeah, that's maybe sometimes code speak for he takes a long time to play and he's kind of slow, but <laughs> he, he, he is just a, a guy that understands, you know, we talk about where to hit your ball and where to miss. And he walks around this place like, like it's easy. I mean, there are guys who are, you know, trying to muscle up and hit the ball 350 off the tee and he just walks around kind of uh, looks down the fair. Like, okay, I'm going to hit it over there. And he hits it there. Then he hits it on the green and then he rolls it a putt. It just, it, it looks easier for him. I don't know that I necessarily love him to go out and play great golf. I think we, we sort of expect it now every year. And I think it's one of these things where, um, you know, we say, oh, of course he'll do it because he's Bernard Longer and he does it every single year. Uh, yeah, I, I think he'll play okay. Um, I don't know if he'll necessarily be in the list of contenders. Do you want to play? Don't play longer if you can find it somewhere to make the cut this year. I, I'm okay with that. I'll buy it. Jason, I, I mean, anytime I have a chance to bet on a 64 year old German, I'm going to do it. But can I get it? What about he's just plus 600 to finish top 30? Can I squeeze that one in? Mm. Ah, man. I don't have his results in front of me from the last few. Yeah, why not? Yeah, just go for it. <laughs> yes. I'm doing yeah. it. $10 right now. Let's go. I probably won't have inside the top 30 in my ranking when I finish. I mentioned my ranking a couple of times, and I do this for all the major championships, but especially for the Masters, where it's only uh, whatever it's going to wind up being this week with Tiger probably in and Deki Matsuyama maybe out. And I don't know exactly what the number is. Somewhere right around 90, but you sit here and you look at it and you say, okay, a ranking of the field, okay. 30th might be, you know, a top 30 play on Bernard. Yeah, sure. Top 30. Hey, you only have to beat two thirds of the field. Tom, what does that say? Oh, there it is. Jordan has his phone out. He's already placed the bet. He's about to hit the done button to actually do it. He's going to do his Bernard longer. I mean, it's it's a podcast about long shots and we got longer on <laughs> the docket. Come on. Well, that raises the that raises the question, like, if you're an amateur better, there are so many different ways to play players, groups, days, scores. Um, 
Jason, what do you think the right way is to get get into this? Like, what's a simple way for somebody, you know, like the Kentucky Derby type better to look at this? Maybe something beyond just betting on your favorite player to win. What, what's a good way to look at the betting side of this for a, for a, for a newcomer? Because it's so overwhelming. There's so many choices. It's like the Cheesecake Factory menu. <laughs> exactly. So so going back to combine two of the last questions, uh, we said Will Zalatoris, 29th in the world, so he fits that top 30 narrative. Then we're yeah. talking about Bernard Longer for a top 30 bet. Bernard Longer's got to beat at least some of those guys who are Will Zalatoris or better this week. So you look at you say top 30, oh, yeah, that's not too hard. You can do that. Then you look at all the guys who are in the top 30 and you go, that's really hard to do. He's got to beat that guy? Oh, he's got to beat him? He's really good. And so uh, that's tough. Uh, as far as Golf gambling in general, I always say, you know, and I'm sure you guys have spoken the same thing. Figure out what kind of gambler you are. Figure out if, you know, am I the kind of guy who, hey, I'm going to throw 20 bucks in there on a weekend. I'm going to throw five bucks on four different lottery tickets. And if they're in contention, I got something to watch on Sunday afternoon. I can enjoy it. And if I lose it, I lose it. No big deal. Or are you, hey, I'm hardcore better. My money means a lot to me. I, I want to turn a profit. I don't want to lose. Granted. None of us want to lose, but if it's not, hey, I just want the lottery tickets. I want to play a little more cautious. I don't want as much risk, and I want to turn some ROI. I think that in golf, you you avoid the outright plays, and you look at the top 10s, top 20s, even some of these top 40s this week. I mean, uh, you can play some of these guys who are pretty good players and find you know, minus 120, minus 110 on a top 40 play where uh, you essentially only have to beat just about half the field this week. So I, I like those kind of things. And again, it, it's, it's not going to be exciting uh, when you're sitting there on the 19th hole with your buddies. And you're like, who do you like this week? And you're like, ah, oh, dude, I hit Joaquin Neiman for a top 40 this week. <laughs> so like, no one goes, Oh, I love that play. They go, all right, why? And you go, well, cause he's minus 180 and he's a good player. And I think he's going to play well and I can throw down a hundred bucks and, and, and win some money on it. That's why I'm doing it. And so you can turn a profit doing it like that, but it's just not as fun. I mean, it's, you know, if you want something to, uh, you know, I'm sitting there with my butt. I, I took a 60 to one long shot and I'm, you know, hopefully he wins. And I got a nice ticket on him. That's what we all like doing. I mean, that's more fun to bet. But if we, if you're just into it to turn a profit, there's other ways to turn a profit. So Jason, one of my favorite master's memories is something that didn't actually come to fruition. Um, but I, always remember sitting in my college dorm room in the spring of 98 and following the tournament in the morning on, you know, like Netscape Navigator or something. And, you know, didn't mm-hmm. come on to CBS and, until three o'clock. And I remember it finally comes on and Jim Nance says, you will not believe what you're about to see. And then you look at the leaderboard, Jack Nicholas was a stroke back at 58. Um, and, I, you know, if he had won that tournament, it would have broken the the early internet at that time right and it, it was it was phenomenal I'm, I'm wondering all your years covering watching the masters what's your favorite underdog story so first of all i'm going to tell you that back in 1998 you guys were all former espn guys i was a production assistant in studio production at espn i was assigned the final round of the masters that day and essentially your your job as a pa uh, on most days is to you, you watch a certain event, whether it's a baseball game, basketball game, a final round of the golf tournament, and you turn around the highlights for SportsCenter and all the other uh, shows and platforms out there. And so it was my job. I know, tough job, but I was watching the final round of the Masters that day in Proc 6 and 7 back in the old uh, screening room in Building A. And so um, I'm sitting there kind of 
you know, as, as this thing's developing, I'm like, um, people like anyone around, like, yeah, somebody like, I'm, you know, at that point I'm a 23 year old kid. I'm like looking around, like, uh, somebody like might want to watch this with me. Like I, I need someone, some supervision here. Cause like that, that Nicholas guy, I, again, I, I knew golf at the time, but I wasn't, you know, certainly wasn't that into it. I wasn't a, a, you know, I wasn't covering golf on a full-time basis. I was still working on TV. And so I, you know, kind of looking for help around there. So yeah, that, that was, I, I remember that vividly and sitting there thinking, Oh my God, if he wins this thing, like, how am I going to, what am I going to do? How am I going to get through this highlight? How am I going to do this? So, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a great one there. As far as a great underdog story, other than it's hard to call Jack Nicholas an underdog, even though he was 58 years old. I it's mean, the tiger this year. Yeah. 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 Tiger would be fantastic this year. You look back at uh, one of the best masters. I mean, if, uh, if they're showing them on golf channel this week and I don't know if they'll show this one because it sort of gets swept under the rug, but Go back and watch the 2011 Masters someday. Yeah. And it was just all these world class players, all these great players. Then at the end, Charles Schwartzel birdies, I believe, the last four holes. And he was 100 to one that week. And I know that, you know, most of us look at it and go, ah, Charles Schwartzel won. And okay, that's a popular reaction. That's right. Outside of the Schwartzel household, it probably wasn't (laughs) a real popular win unless you had a 100 to one ticket. But uh, other than, you know, the lack of name recognition, you look at it and you say, you know, man, he beat all these great players and he did it um, in great fashion. It, it, it was pretty cool to watch. I, I remember that one pretty vividly as well. Jason, we've covered the big stuff, Tiger Woods, you know, underdogs and, and just, you know, the important alma maters, you know, in terms of in North Carolina, the important stuff, right, Jason? The, the biggest story, though, we haven't talked about yet is the Georgia peach ice cream sandwich is not on the menu at the Masters this year due to supply chain issues. And Jason, I was wondering your biggest sleeper pick on the Masters menu. If, if you have no opportunity to have the Georgia peach ice cream sandwich, what is the underdog story on the menu at Masters? Okay, so I don't know that everyone can do this. Um, but here in the press building, they've got a lot of different options. And so what I will do, I'm actually staring at the green wrapper sandwiches right now. I'm sitting about uh, 20 yards away from them, just a nice little bumped wedge away from the sandwiches. And I'm, I'm going to go over there in a couple minutes when we finish. I'm going to grab an egg salad sandwich. I'm going to open up that egg salad sandwich. I'm going to grab some crispy bacon from them. I'm going to throw the bacon inside the egg salad sandwich. I'm going to close it up, and I'm going to complete the greatest life hack that has ever existed, which is the bacon and egg salad sandwich here at Augusta National. Wait, can you combine? Because pimento cheese is right around the corner. Could you add the bacon, (gasps) egg, and cheese with the pimento cheese and combine forces to make the ultra master sandwich? That's not a bad idea. I I usually stay away from the pimento cheese here. My my tastes have altered over the years. I I started (laughs) really not liking it. Um, I've gotten to the point where I'm okay with it. I, I do value like play. pimento cheese. Value so play. It's, it's not a bad idea. I might throw some pimento <laughs> cheese in there. I, I, I don't. Here's the problem: you almost have to eat two of the sandwiches, though, because you're you're destroying half of one sandwich to make a full other one. So you, at that point, you're almost making a, a half pimento, half egg, and so you have to do two of them. So you're not just throwing out the other halves. So then I gotta get more bacon and eat two full sandwiches, which, guys, quite honestly, I think I can handle. Guys, I think next year, at, at maybe after the Iowa State Fair road trip, 
our next ones to the masters for the podcast. Much, much harder to get into. Yeah, I, I thought I thought you were going to say <laughs> next year we we pay Jason to just bring us home some egg salad because I don't think there's any way we're we're going to be podcasting from from Augusta. We're finding our way in there, and we're doing this live with Jason next year. I will tell you for the November 2020 Masters, I, I did not come. Uh, very limited capacity. I worked it from home, but we had our member guest back in Orlando at my club either the week i guess it was the week after and so augusta national was nice enough to send me um a, a big cooler filled with uh egg salad and pimento cheese and oh. leaving some of the chicken salad they have here wow and i went and made sandwiches i made like a hundred sandwiches out of it and handed them out to all the guys the member guests and so we had actually uh, Augusta national type sandwiches at our member guest. That's it. This is the life. It's going to, it's going to be a long time before we talk to somebody who's living as high as getting a <laughs> cooler full of ingredients. We just finished March madness and covering basketball or like entire careers. We're, we're covering the wrong sport fellas. Yeah. How many dried up hot dogs have you seen in press rooms at basketball games? I mean, it's just, there's no comparison. Trust me, guys. Guys, I, I've been I've been there enough when they leave the same barbecue out for six straight days in Akron, <laughs> yeah. where this one week of the year tends to make up for well, Jason, it. Jason, go find something good to eat. We are so thankful that we had this time with you, and we can't wait to bring you back for future majors. And this year here, next year in Augusta together, as we say. Absolutely, boys. Thanks for having me. I will see you here in the press building for our special sandwiches next year. <laughs> I'm glad Webb Simpson's got his neck surgery and got all the procedures done so he can fit himself into that green jacket this year. Oh, yeah. my goodness. <laughs> yeah. You let Bernard Langer know how much we literally have riding on him. And please let Webb know. Just maybe give him a photo of Tom. Just be on the lookout in the future. Just for his own safety. Oh, come on. I'm going Zalatoris, low demon deacon this week, okay? <laughs> Jason, thanks a lot. We really appreciate it. JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney, make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusion supply. See store or jcp.com for details.